Thank you for coming to the podcast. This is Top Turtle MMA Podcast on cage.press.com. I'm Dave Jacoby Freeland, joined as always by my co-host Shockwave Dave Tremonte. The UFC is back in the apex this weekend for UFC Vegas 72, headlined by Ricky Simone versus Song Dong. We'll, of course, be breaking down that fight as well as two other of our favorite fights on the main card as part of Fights, Dogs, and Parlays, where we'll also give you an underdog in a parlay that we think is going to make your wallet fat this weekend. Plus, I am going to be talking to two of the fighters on the card. Kicking off the show this week is a show favorite, Kaibo Ayo, who's back once again to talk about his upcoming co-main event slot. And then later on in the show, we'll be talking to Jamie Lynn Horth, newcomer to the show, as she gets ready to make her debut in the UFC for the first fight of the night against Haley Cowan. And we're going to get to all that great content for you right now. The hosts are ready. The fighters are ready. Listeners, make some noise if you are ready for Top Turtle MMA with Shockwave and Gumby. All right, and joining me today is Kaibo Ohio, who fights Michael Olashejuk at UFC Vegas 72 on April 29th. So, Kai, I-, I wanted to ask you this. For a brief moment, it looked like you were going to be the main event of UFC Vegas 72 with the, the title or the-, the main event, lightweight main event falling apart. How, how hopeful were you? And-, and did you have any conversations about turning it into a five-round fight? Yeah, brother. Actually, I was happy that I was going to do my the main event uh- I, when I saw the the, the Moicano go injury, I was like, man, we got to be the, the main event now. Let's hope they, they do it. But we, but we keep waiting. Me and my team, we keep waiting. And we already uh, we were already doing five rounds anyway. So, uh, but when they when I saw the news that they got Song, Dog and Rick Simon from the other event to do this one, to do the main event, I was so frustrated. But... It is what it is. I'm going to be the co-main again. It's my fourth fight and third co-main event. And you don't see much fighters do, do it like this. So I'm happy anyway. <laughs> so I, I was going to ask you about that. You know, it is your third co-main event and you've only had four fights in the UFC. Like, what what is that like for you? You're always on the marquee. Oh, uh, I, I think I think these guys know that I can do my job well, you know. Uh, I I understand that I'm missing some finishes in, in the fights, but I, I can talk, I, I can sell fights, I can win, and that's what matters, I think. So I think they, they see something good on me, and they, they believe in me too much, and I'm happy with this. I'm happy with the UFC putting confidence on me, you know? Absolutely. Now, I heard you in the, say in there that you were already training five rounds. You were already getting ready for a five-round fight. Has that been something you've been doing all of your training camps, or is that new to recently? No, actually, no, not no all the training camps. But it's crazy because when I see the fight with Moicano and Tarukian, and they 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 put me in the co-main event, I talk to my I talk to my coach and I said, just let's let's do let's do five rounds in some trainings because maybe the guys can get injury and we can move up to main event. So. We gotta be ready. It's not gonna be a surprise for us, you know. So I was just kind of, uh, you know, getting getting ready if the moment comes, you know. But God knows everything, and it's good like this. <laughs> that makes sense. Now, a win here is gonna make you four and zero, right? 
that that's an incredible record to kick off your middleweight career. And a lot of people are talking about you like you're one of the best middleweight prospects out there. D- did you expect a little bit more of a step up after beating Mahmoud Muradov than Michael Olashejak? Or when they came with your that name, were you just like, you know, I'll fight anybody at this point? No, actually, I wasn't expecting that. Actually, I didn't even want it to be like top 15 or something like that. As I said, in all my interviews, I, I wanted to do like four fights until I get to the, the to the rankings, you know. So when they came to me with Michael Leshechuk, he's a very dangerous guy. He's a very nice guy. And he's coming from two, two first-round knockouts in the middleweight. And I think it's a good fight to make, you know. I understand that, that I have to be more experienced every time that, that I get inside the octagon. And I think that this fight is to close the chapter and I'm, I'm going to the rankings after that, you know, but first and foremost, I need, I need to focus on him and I need to focus on beating him. And that, that's what matters right now. You know, that makes a lot of sense. Now I, I do have to ask you, you did say the focus is on Olshejuk, so I'm not going to press your hand too much here, but no, no <laughs> with, with a win, you know, you, you get that mic in your face, you go in there and finish Michael Olshejuk. Are Do you have a name on the tip of your tongue for a rank guy that you want next? Yeah, I have a name. I have a name on a rank guy. Uh, I'm not going to say right now just to don't blow up the surprise, you know. <laughs> but uh, but I ha- already have a name. He's coming from a win, and he's on top 15, and I think he's a good name to beat him. All right. Well, we'll, we'll definitely be looking for that come uh, April 29th. Now, you know, you also mentioned in there that, you know, you are 3-0, and but you have sort of lacked that finish. Is that been something that you've put more of an emphasis on during this training camp, looking for a finish, trying to find, you know, sort of those openings when it does come to Michael Olashejak? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Because uh, this is something that is on my foot all the time. The people are saying, but I don't care too much because I care about winning. That's that's the most important thing. That's what keeps my contract. That's what he knew with my contract. So I'm, I'm okay with that. But for sure, I want to get back to finished fights, you know. You saw what I can do in the light heavyweight division that I knocked the guy out in the first round, and I, and I I can I can finish fights, but uh, I'm not getting any easy fights in my in my way up. You know, my first guy was a world sambo world champion 13 and 0. The second guy was kickboxing world champion 7 and 1. And now I get uh, then, and after that I got Mike Muradov who was coming with. Uh, 14 wins in his last 15 fights. So I'm not getting in his way like other prospects are getting, you know? All these guys that you see, they are, they are, they are saying their names and stuff, but they're all getting bums, you know, brother? And I, I'm not. I'm, I'm going the hard way. I'm going the most difficult way. So I think uh, I need a finish, but I need to win. That's that's the most important thing. But for sure, I'm, I'm, I'm putting more emphasis on that. I'm starting to do more one-on-one trainings with my coach just to make the positions more like tight and you know and the, the striking game a little bit more uh studied and to 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 find the the holes on on my Michael game and try to finish him all, all two rounds you know absolutely and now I, I want to get back to talking about Olashejak too but you did mention in there the light heavyweight division and the fact that you know for your second contender series fight you did have to go up to 205 mostly due to the short notice nature of it. Is that something you think about doing again at some point in time? Or is this like, you know, we're middleweight for the rest of our lives here? Uh, I, I'm not thinking about because I'm focusing on my division because I think this is my division. And this is where I'm going to make history. I'm going to be the world champ. 
But for sure, it's on the table, you know. Depends on money and how I am and everything. I'm not saying never, but I'm focusing on my division. But I'm here, you know. <laughs> I'm here to work, you know. I, I it's my this is my sixth fight, sixth fight in one and a half year. So I think I'm very pretty active, and the UFC know who to call if they need me, you know. Absolutely, and and that was actually my next question. I have it written down right here, like. You you fought six times in a relatively short period of time. Is, is that something that is ideal to you? Because I know some people like to get in the lab, like to do you know more work and fix things. And but you haven't had a lot to fix. But do you wish that you had more time in between fights? No, oh, I I like to be active, you know, brother. Because uh, on my career, I had a lot of surgery, so I spent a lot of time not not fighting like one fight in a year and something like that. And now I'm healthy. I'm taking care of my body. I'm getting a good nutritionist and, and I'm doing everything that I need and I'm healthy to fight, you know. Uh, I've been on the lab for seven years until I get to UFC, you know. And I know that I got to the UFC ready, like a ready product, a ready guy. For sure I have something, a lot of things to work, like everybody has, but I know I'm a ready guy and I know I can fix problems in in a short amount of time and then go back to fighting and then go back to fighting, you know. But right now, actually, I want to do two fights before September because my son is coming on September. My wife's pregnant. So I, I, after after he borns, I want I want to I want to stay a little bit of him and, and you know, uh, get in touch with his growing up, you know, the don't want to miss any, any of this time with him. So I want to do like two fights before September. And then after that, maybe another one only in December or January of the next year. So let's see how it goes. But now focusing on Michelle. Huh? Well, first of all, congratulations. That That is phenomenal news Thank for you. Thank you, brother. Yeah. And now, you. now let's talk about Olashijak. You said, you know, he's a guy who comes out, throws bombs, gotten first round KOs a couple of times. What what do you think that style plays against you, a guy who you know is so durable and who does have you know as you mentioned a five round gas tank? Yeah, I don't think he's too much durable. He got tired in his last rounds, but that's why he he comes in the first very strong, you know, because he he knows he's not durable for three rounds and he knows he's not durable for three rounds with me. They're so well-rounded, you know? I think he's a uni uh, very dangerous guy, very good boxer. Has a, He's a softball, uh, very uncommon style. He throw bombs. But I think he's undimensional. And you already see what I did with guys undimensional, you know? So I'm always doing good with guys that are undimensional, and, and, and I think I'm going to keep, keep, keep doing this way. But I see him as a very tough opponent, a very tough uh, challenge for me, and I think he's, he's, as I said, is a great way to after after finishing him to to go to the rankings, you know. Well, you you sort of leaded right there with my my final question. I I said usually like to ask what a prediction is for the fight. You said you're gonna get that finish. How's it gonna look? When's it gonna happen? Uh, uh, I think inside two rounds, I'm going to finish this guy, you know. Well, uh, it can be on the ground or it can be on, on the foot, but I think inside two rounds, uh, I will finish him and I will try my best to do it, you know. But don't get me wrong, the win is the most important thing. So I'm going to win for sure, but try to finish him two, inside two rounds. All right. Well, you heard it here first, folks. This is Van Kaibo, Ohio, who fights Michael Olashejak at UFC Vegas 72. That fight, once again, is April 29th. Kai, thank you so much for the time. I really appreciate it.
Thank you, brother. Thank you for the space. God bless you guys. <laughs> well, we have enjoyed that interview with Kai Ohio. I once again have Dan, you're going to be freeland, joined now by my co-host, Shockwave Dave Tremonte. Dave, let's start here. I want to talk a little bit about Sergey Pavlovich versus Curtis Blades, which took place last weekend. Curtis Blades goes out there and decides he's going to box, uh, and he's going to box a powerful boxer, and it does not work at all. I have stated on Twitter, elsewhere in the world, to anybody who will listen to me in a coffee shop, uh, that that was the worst fight IQ out of a fighter that I've ever seen in my entire life. What are your thoughts on that take? Yeah, you know, it's very unfortunate because I'm a huge Curtis Razor Blades fan. Uh, We have seen him look okay when striking. And, you know, it just didn't work out this time. And where I'm left somewhat heartbroken as a massive fan, it just feels like whenever he gets to that top of the card, it's a step back. And I don't know, you know, part of me thought when Naganu left, the person who benefited the most would be Curtis Blades, because that was the only person that had really put the whooping on him was Naganu, and now with him out of the way, it's like, oh, man, is this like a Cormier situation? You know, John Jones gets suspended for the 50th time. Daniel Cormier finally gets his title. Um, You know, he was always the 1A to Jones's 1, or whatever the phrase is, and that's how it felt with Curtis Razor Blades. But now he goes in against Pavlovich, gets his clock cleaned, and I just wonder, like, this guy's never going to be champion. And, yes, you're right. It was a really bad fight, IQ. Yeah, and, and but the the thing about all of the losses to Ngannou, though, were, like, so the first one, it, it, he, like, got some takedowns, right? Like, that was way early in both of their careers. The second one, you were like, ah, you're right. Francis does seem to have a leg up on him because now he's got some takedown defense, and now he's going to just pop people in the, the chin real fast and keep it on the feet. And you were like, yeah, that seems like a hump he can't get over. The loss to Derek Lewis felt like a hump he could get over, right? He just shot a takedown early. He maybe didn't protect his face on the way in and, and winds up getting clipped doing it. This one, it was like he didn't even try the things he's good at. Uh, and I, like you said, we've seen him look good on the feet. The Chris Dawkins fight sticks out. But I almost wonder if that Chris Dawkins fight winds up being the uh, the Gabriel Gonzaga versus Miracle Krokop in the fact that a really talented grappler here has fallen in love with what he can do on the feet, likes the publicity he gets from the big knockout, and winds up doing shit that's not good for him. Uh, yes. Now, that being said, and you know I'm a grapple first. I'm a fan of the grapplers. Uh, it's tough, though, because every round's going to start standing. Some nights, you know, someone's going to have that takedown defense just working, or you come in you know, a, a little under the weather or whatever the case may be and the takedown's not there, you do need to have striking if we're talking about being a champion, right? And, I mean, listen, the man, he went to unanimous decision with uh, Jorginho Roizenstruck, who's a knockout artist. He survived those three rounds to take a unanimous decision win. We have seen him look okay, and at some point he is going uh, – this is really more for, like, to become that champion – he is going to have to strike in MMA. So 
you know, I don't know. I, I really look at it as a huge setback to his career. And I just, I don't think he's, a, this is someone who I thought could have been a champion. And now I'm very much thinking he's never going to be champion. What do you think? Yeah. You think he could be uh, champion? I think he has the skills to be, but I think between what we just saw fight IQ wise, the fact that he's taking a step back right now and, you know, questionable contract situation. I heard his, his contract was expiring. Who knows what the UFC feels about him at this point. And it's murky at the top of that division. John Jones is going to fight once in God knows how often. They're going to give a title fight to an 800-year-old Stipe Miocic who feels like he's past his prime and has one foot out the door. Pavlovich is obviously up there. Now, who who knows how long it would take, you know, Curtis Blades to climb that ladder and get a shot anyway. So, uh, yeah, no, I, I'm going to say if I had to put even money on either side, I'd probably pick no at this point. You're right. Yeah, it's just, I don't know. It's sad, you know. He, like, him, Tatiana Suarez, these are top turtle people, you know. And uh, I don't know. I just find it sad. And you're so right, by the way, about Miocic. Like, 40 years old, coming off a loss two years ago. He hasn't fought in two years, and that's the man fighting for the title. And I get it. He's a former champion. Uh, as crazy as it is, he has the most champion title defenses. Actually, did did Naganu? How many title defenses did Naganu have? Did Naganu break I don't that record? I don't think as many as Stipe. No, no, no. So wait, let's actually go to the intern on this. Does Stipe Miocic still hold the record for most heavyweight title defenses? He defended yeah, he does. three times. Yeah, and Naganu yeah, defended. Does. Top of your head, how many times did Naganu defend? I think, think once, right? Yeah, just once against Cyril Gaines. Yeah. it's pathetic all right well i'll tell you what's not pathetic uh it's fights dogs and parlays for ufc vegas 72 fights dogs and parlays our favorite segment we get to do on the show we break down a couple of fights give you a dog we like and a parlay to play but gumby before we get into it does anyone sponsor this edition of fights dogs and parlays Absolutely. Fight Stocks and Parlay is brought to you by Maroon Social, M-A-R-U-N-E. Maroon Social is the one and only social media app for the martial arts enthusiast. Whether you do kickboxing, judo, sambo, jujitsu, or any other martial art, you can use Maroon Social to log your training sessions, tag your training partners, log competitions, weigh-ins, and so much more. Ditch that dirty jujitsu journal and get yourself Maroon Social wherever it is you download apps. Boom. Let's start then with the main event. And this is a nice, this is a nice fight. Uh, Ricky Simone is a minus 120 and song... Yadong is just plus 100, which is to say Vegas has this razor close. Song Yadong betting off at even money. Ricky Simone, just a very slight favorite at minus 120. Simone is on a five-fight win streak, coming off a big arm triangle choke win over Jack Shore. Beat Rafa Sunsell via KO before that. He could not be hotter. Song Yadong is coming up a loss to Corey Sanhagen via TKO. No real shame in that Sanhagen's at the very top of the division. Before the Sanhagen fight, Yadong had reeled wins in a row, including two KO wins. Who you got? I'm going to go with Ricky Simone. I, I just think the the grappling of Ricky Simone is so underrated, man. Like, the, the only times this guy has been beat is when he could get stuffed in the takedown game. And, and even when he fought Marab Devashvili, that wasn't enough for Marab Devashvili. I think people forget this guy tapped out, well, not tapped out, passed out Marab Devashvili in a fight. Like, super underrated is Ricky Simone. And when you put him up against Song Yudong, a guy who is powerful, granted. You know, he's got huge hands. Uh, but the, the fact of the matter is, 
is he was out grappled by Tyler Phillips once upon a time. And that just rings too heavy in my mind uh, to think that he can get away from what Ricky Simone can do. And uh, for that, I'm picking Ricky Simone. And I actually really like the line here, too. All right, I like it. I'm really looking forward to this fight. I mean, I do think it's close, but I, I totally give you what you're saying on how hot Ricky Simone is and liking him in this matchup. Not going to argue with you, so let's move on. Uh, Kai Boha, or no, excuse me. Uh, let's start with Michael Olasheshuk, who is a plus 240 dog to Kai Bohio, who's a minus 300 favorite. A big favorite here. Um, Olasheshuk not O'Shake Shack, is on a two-fight win streak. He KO'd Sam Alvey, KO'd Cody Brundage. He had lost in Dustin Jacoby before that. In the UFC, he is a very, really almost respectable 6-3 and 1-no contest. So he's 6-3 and three in the UFC. Ohio, on the other hand, two wins on contender series, uh, three wins in normal UFC in a row. If you count contender series, he's 5-0. and But three straight wins in normal UFC, including two co-main events. You get the feeling the UFC marketing machine likes the guy. Uh, he's a Brazilian, good-looking kid, as they say, speaks good English, and they're giving him the spotlight here, and they're giving him a good matchup where he's a 3-1 to favorite. Any reason not to take him. No, I don't think so. And, and if you look back at all of the fights that have given Michael Olszewski problems, it, it's guys who can grapple, right? Jimmy Crew took him down, submitted him quick. Ovin St. Prue took him down, hit him with the Von Flew choke. Even Dustin Jacoby, when he didn't like what was happening on the feet for a couple of minutes, took him down. Uh, really, all that Olszewski gets done is he gets his hands going on the feet. He's got incredible power on the feet. We saw it in the Sam Alvey fight. Uh, we saw it in the Shamil Gazmatov fight. Like, he throws absolute hammers. I think Kaibo Ohio's got the wrestling to defend that. I think he's way sharper on the feet than somebody like Alvi or Gosmatov or Cody Brundage, who he also beat. So, yeah, give me Kaibo Ohio. I, I think I think we see a little bit more of his grappling game here, and I know he's looking for a finish. I think if he takes Michael Olszewski to the ground, I think he's going to find that one. I like it. No argument there. Marcos Rogerio de Lima is a minus 165 favorite. Waldo Cortez Acosta, a plus 135 dog. Marcos Rogerio de Lima, or let's just call him MRDL for short, is one of those guys that he sneaks up on you, man. He's almost been in the UFC for 10 freaking years. He debuted in 2014. He's coming off a win over Andre Arlovsky via rear naked choke. Um, had lost to Blagoy Ivanov before that and beat Ben Rothwell and Maurice Green before that. So a very nice three and one in his last four coming into this fight. But Waldo is uh, undefeated as a pro. He's 8-0 in the UFC, a win on Contender Series, and then two wins in normal UFC. Jared Vendera and Chase Sherman he beat via unanimous decision. If you count Contender Series, he's 3-0 in the UFC. And again, undefeated as a pro, but a plus-135 dog here. Who you taking? I'm sticking with the, the favorites here, and I'm taking Marcos Rogerio de Lima. I, I think de Lima has just got too much on the feet to for Waldo Cortez Acosta. Waldo Cortez Acosta is a great boxer, but the fact of the matter is he fought one guy with an extremely limited striking game in Jared Vandera, and then he followed that up by fighting a guy in Chase Sherman who backed up most of the fight, and 
I mean, it's worth noting that Chase Sherman did hit a takedown in that fight. Chase Sherman, not a wrestler here. And we got Rogerio DeLima, a guy who, when he chooses to wrestle, can wear you out because uh, he's a big dude. And he also throws that little front kick, which I think is just going to make it harder for Waldo or Cortez Acosta to find his boxing range. So, yeah, I'm going to go with the favorite here. I think he takes him down and beats him up on the mat. Boom. Our uh, dog of the week is Cody Durden, a plus 120 over Charles Johnson. Break that down. Yeah, so this fight was uh, lined a little wider earlier in the week. You could have gotten Cody Durden up in, like, the plus 160 range. I think people are starting to see just how good he is. Because uh, while he had some, uh, let's call it a controversy for some post-fight uh, statements, he is a, a phenomenal wrestler. He showed it against uh, Carlos Moda in his last fight, where he just absolutely ripped him to the ground every second of the fight. I'm also fading Charles Johnson here because Charles Johnson is coming off of a loss of a fight that he really thought he won and he's jumping right back in there. Like I'm pretty sure this fight is happening only a couple of weeks after or maybe a month after his last fight. He just tried to get right back in training camp to right or wrong. And while we've seen people time and time again do that, it never really winds up being all that great. You know, like he needs a full training camp and the only thing is, is O'Day Osborne took him down a bunch of times. You're going to be in there with a better wrestler in Cody Durden. So, yeah, I'm going to take the dog money here on Durden. Our parlay to play is the aforementioned Marco Sagerio de Lima, minus 165, as we said. But pair him together with Julian Arosa, minus 155. Two favorites. It pairs together in a parlay, comes out at a plus 164. Break it down. Yeah, so to start, I like Marco Sergio de Lima. I already said, I think he grounds him. I think he beats him up there. For Julian Rosa, I think he's being disrespected here. He's fighting a guy making his debut in Fernando Padilla, who has not particularly impressed me. Like, he's a guy who kind of plods forward. He doesn't have much head movement. And if you're telling me Julian Rosa is fighting a guy who's not going to move his head enough... I mean, give me Julian Arosa all day. So uh, I, I think Julian Arosa pieces him up. I think he's probably being undervalued due to the uh, Bruce Leroy knockout. So uh, let's pair these two together, get plus 164. Boom. Well, that wraps up this edition of Fights, Dogs, and Parlays. Let us know how we did on the Twitter or the IG. At Turtle MMA is where you can reach us. We're accepting both love and hate feedback currently. Gumby, we're having a party here. Let's not let it stop. What should we do next? Well, we're going to transition now to my interview with Jamie Lynn Horth, who is fighting and making her debut this weekend at UFC Vegas 72. That fight is against Haley Cowan, and we're going to talk to her right now. All right, and joining me today is Jamie Lynn Horth, who fights Haley Cowan at UFC Vegas 672. That fight is on April 29th. So, Jamie Lynn, I wanted to start here. Since winning the LFA belt, you know, a very high-level regional belt, You've been out of the cage for a while. Some of that not necessarily your fault, but what has this like year plus out of the cage been like for you? Um, you know what? Honestly, um, I'm not really a, a stranger to having a good chunk of time in between my fights. So um, having this last little bit off, it's been sort of how it's always been. It's a really good time for me to sort of recover, game plan, um, you know, just be a sponge to the sport and, um, just go back to the drawing board and look at things that I could fine tune and, and, um, and really dive back down into the, to the depth of the martial, martial arts world there. I like that mentality a lot, but I've heard, you know, pretty much the opposite from some fighters, you know, some fighters like to be super busy, fight three or four times a year, that kind of thing. Is, is that just like not your thing? Is it not, you're not like the type who wants to be in the cage that often? 
No, I mean, I'd like to be in the cage as often as possible. It's just, unfortunately, my whole career I've spent, um, you know, with having a lot of girls not really interested in fighting me. And it's been quite a hard time for, for every promotion that I've been a part of to find opponents and have girls to, to sign on the dotted line. So um, not by choice, but just by the nature of, I guess, having a, the record that I have and, and um, sort of just the finishes, I guess, as I turned as a pro, it, it just deterred a lot of girls from fighting me and, um, even with LFA having, you know, a larger roster and a, and a great promotion to be fighting under, they, um, they had, they had not a lot of options, um, for me and that not that they didn't have options. They didn't have a lot of girls that were interested in fighting me. Um, you know, I had six or seven girls, uh, come through and say no from the time of last December, when my fight was supposed to happen against Sabina Mazo until, um, I got this call with the UFC. Well, that, that's certainly really frustrating. Now, I know you've said it kept, like, a positive mindset about, like, you know, where I can grow, what I can do back at the drawing board, all that kind of stuff. But but have you found yourself frustrated then that you, you can't fight or show off your skills as often as you want? You can't build that record? Um, I do find it frustrating, yeah. You know, it is frustrating, um, you know, having a 5-0 and record. I mean, I, I feel like it's not a, a crazy huge record. It's not like I have a ton of fights under my belt. Um per se, you know, but, um, yeah, it's very frustrating and very defeating being like seeing all these other flyweight fights go on and these other girls be signed and stuff. And I'm just sitting over here waiting and, and constantly in limbo, not knowing if I'm going to get a short notice call or not. So, you know, as a, as a fighter, it's, it's, it can be tough to peak when you don't really have a certain day to peak on, if that makes sense. Um, you know, I've had spent most of my, I've spent most of my career, um, I've spent most of my career just being ready all the time. And, you know, not that that's a, a really hard thing for me to do. I've been an athlete my whole life. Um, but like I said, you know, I just don't really, I haven't really had a lot of opportunities where it's like, oh, you're fighting in, uh, you're fighting in 10, 15 weeks, you know, here you go, like get ready. Yeah, that that sounds pretty tough. Now, luckily for you coming into the UFC, that, that hopefully is going to be much different. But I wanted to touch upon something you mentioned in there, which is not a lot of fights for you at flyweight. This one, if I'm not mistaken, is up a weight class. Am I wrong? Is this one at Bantamweight? No, you're right. I'm fighting at Bantamweight. Um, uh, when we got the call for, for just over about four weeks ago, or just under four weeks ago, um, with the offer of the Bantamweight, obviously it's not a it's not an answer um, that you can give a no to. So, um, you know, we weren't, we weren't too afraid to take that fight at Bantamweight. I'm a pretty big 125-er. Um, if, if anybody's who's seen me in real life or – um, fought against me. I, I'm a lot bigger than um, than the meets the eye. Yeah. Well, and so I, I was gonna say that too. Like you're you're somebody who already you know has to cut down a fair amount of weight. Being you know you're like five foot seven, right? And you're you're like a pretty strong at, at that size even. So is it easier for you to cut down? Or are you doing more bulking to to kind of fit into this division? Or is because this is a temporary move? We're just one and done, quick cut, and then uh, back to to fly weight. I mean, we don't. I don't really know what the future has. To be honest, that's kind of a really good question. Um, you know, like I said, I could easily be a bantamweight, um, no problem. Like just outside of fighting, like I don't typically get like overly large, and like I'm not fat by all means. Um, do I enjoy eating donuts and having a scone <laughs> and a coffee on a dog walk? A hundred percent. But like I said, I, I feel like I, I'm constantly um, an athlete every day of my life. I have been my entire life. So. Um, you know, have I put on a little bit more muscle and stuff? 
um, in just through, since December, when I didn't get that fight through January, February, 100%. Um, I have a wicked strength and conditioning coach. Um, you know, I had opportunities. I went and trained out with a couple other 135ers earlier this last month before I got this fight offer. So I was already prepared to be fighting with bigger girls. So I would just kind of let myself stay up at that, like, more of my top end weight. And, um, you know, my top end weight is quite similar to what a lot of these 135ers walk around at already. So um, I don't really feel like I'm going to be undersized by all means or or that, like, I'm going to be small for the division. It's quite possible that I do fight in both weight classes. I like that. I like that. Now, you've mentioned a couple of times in there being a lifelong athlete. And I'm curious, too, because, you know, you, you have been in MMA for, for five years, but that, that means that gives you, you know, a whole lot of other time to be an athlete or, you know, five years as a professional, I should say. You know, we're talking seven years otherwise. That gives you a long time to be an athlete otherwise. What what does, made you decide to, a little bit later than most people do, decide to get into MMA? I mean, I am a high-level soccer player. I kind of have played soccer and baseball, and, and the town that I grew up in, I just had the opportunities. I played football and hockey, and, you know, I kind of did all, all the team sports, if you will, through high school, et cetera, and, and, I, and I really focused a lot. Um, I went to university for four years. I played um, soccer my my whole life, but um, I kind of got into martial arts as a cross-training piece. Um, I'm a big fan of cross training and, and sort of tricking the body into to different movements and different, different quicknesses. So I kind of got into martial arts. I started doing kickboxing and a little bit of jujitsu later on, um, just as a cross training piece for, for sort of off, off season training for soccer. And I, uh, five, five months into it, I took a couple tournaments and I just seen success. And here I am seven years later, still chasing down that dream. Yeah, and that, that's amazing. Now, I, I, let's talk about the fight itself, because this fight with Haley Collins is an exciting one, not just because you're going up and challenging yourself against a bigger woman, but also because, you know, she's a fighter we saw in the Contender Series kind of throw her weight around, try to be the bigger, tougher fighter. What, what do you think about that being your first step into the Bantamweight division? Um, you know, I think that's kind of going to be a, definitely a big part of their game plan. I think we've already kind of prepared ourselves for that. Um you know, she's going to want to push me up against the cage and hold me there, no doubt, because she thinks I'm a 25-er, um, that, that she's going to have sort of that extra edge and advantage on her. And, and you know what? Maybe she is stronger than me. We don't know. I won't know until I put my hands on her. Um, I kind of felt that way with my last fight, too. Um, and once I got in the cage, I sort of figured out sort of who was who was what and who had what. Um, you know, but if you think about it, too, and you look back, Haley Cowan did fight at 25 for quite a while, for LFA as well. So, um, you know, she started out her career as a 125er and so have I, and, and there's arguably a, a point that I could be a 135er and so is she. So, um, you know, I, I'm not too concerned that way, but I do think that, yeah, that's going to be a part of their game plan is to, that they're going to be able to try to bully me and, and hold me up against the cage. So I don't want you to give away too much of your game plan, but I usually like ending these interviews with a prediction from the fighters. So come April 29th, how do you see this one ending with Haley Cowan? I think it's going to be a technical um, battle. I think I'm going to technically, either it's going to be some sort of technical knockout in some sense. All right. Well, you're here to hear first, folks. This has been Jamie Lynn Horth, who fights Haley Cowan. UFC Vegas 72 is on April 29th. Jamie Lynn, thank you so much for the time. I really appreciate it. Thank you. 
And that's going to do it for another episode of the Top Turtle MMA Podcast. We want to thank you, the fans, for tuning in each and every week. We would not have a show without you guys. We also want to thank our sponsor, Maroon Social, and remind you guys that you can check us out on Twitter and Instagram at Top Turtle MMA in both of those locations. And until next week, I'm Dave Freeland. He's Shockwave Dave Tremonte, and we will catch you then.